Welcome to the Nifty Podcast presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. Hi, everybody. My name is Robert Spiewak Bohorkas. I'm one of the programmers for Nifty 2020, uh, and I'm super excited to be joined by the uh, director and writer of a film that is in our closing night, What Do You Stand For screening this year, called Misfits. And uh, yeah, Siani, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yes. Hi, I am Siani Ray Walker. I am the writer and director of Misfits. Um, and I am super excited to be talking about the film. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. Uh, and so do you want to start us off by just kind of, for those listening that might not have seen the film yet, um, do you want to give like kind of a, like a synopsis, a little bit of a logline description of the film? Yeah. So the film takes place all on the night of MLK Jr.'s assassination in 1968. Um, it follows these two sisters who are also leaders of the Black Panther Party, their chapter anyway, mm -hmm. um, and their friend kidnaps a cop that night, and they have they spend the whole film trying to figure out what to do with him, how to proceed, and just navigate this crazy turbulent night um, in history. Yeah, and so I'm curious, um, just to start things off, like where did the um, like idea, the first kind of you know, kernel nugget of the film start from? Like, where did the inspiration come from to where, you know, the film is now? Yeah, so I am a history nerd. That's the first thing. I studied history in college. Um, and I just remember growing up, there was always, you know, some sort of Black History Month celebration, and when we focus on it in school, and it was mm -hmm. always, um, you know, you had Martin Luther King, this huge section of MLK for peace, huge section on Malcolm X for violence right. and then uh this tiny little paragraph that was like and the black panther party was extremely violent and mm -hmm. then we moved on and that and that was like all you heard about it and so it was kind of my own curiosity um because i always thought i was like that can't be the full story you know right. they can't only have like two to three sentences of like being scolded and then <laughs> that's it in the history yeah. book so that is kind of that's where it started i kind of dug super deep into it um, I went all through their whole, you know, the, you know, the starting of them through the seventies and, you know, everything like that. And so the story kind of emerged out of me just being super curious and researching about them. Yeah. How long was that, was that process before, you know, it got to script phase and then like, I'm curious where the timeline of the overall film kind of lands. Yeah. It, it was probably about three to four months of researching wow. and digging and the film, it took so many different forms because there were so many different layers of the Black Panther Party yeah. that, you yeah. know, there was a version of the film that was all about um, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI being on their necks. Um, and then there was a whole, you know, part of the film that was about the tennis court murders. So it kind of, as I researched more, it kind of took so many different forms and then by the end it became like, Producibility. What can we actually shoot, you know, right. with the budget that we have, with the resources that we have, what is practical and that it actually helped because it, it narrowed down this gigantic narrative to something that, you know, I could do in a short film. Yeah. And so I'm curious then with it being, you know, this period piece, like what were some of the, um, I mean, the seventies wasn't that long ago and, you know, clothes come in and out of style and things like that. But, you know, mm -hmm. what were some of the like biggest challenges with, with just producing something set in the seventies? Yeah. Kind of like everything, honestly, <laughs> it was, 
the location, you know, everything had to be period correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that scene in the beginning where she walks, you know, from outside to inside the house and that had to be period correct. The fence had to be right. All of that. So finding wow. a house that all took place in one, one house, we were at one location the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that house and it was in long beach. Um, and wow. so to have a house that's, you know, supposed to be set in Oakland to find that in within the 30 miles of my film school yeah. was, you know, that was, it took a lot of digging. And then, um, just having all of the costumes and everything, there wasn't really, it just, it made the budget a little bit higher just because we couldn't have any of the background members or anyone like that just kind of bring what they have from home. It all had to be picked out and everything like that. And then of course, um, the wigs were kind of the biggest challenge of this whole thing, like set aside all of everything else. It was, you know, having wigs that, cause they, they change shape. They, um, you know, you have to style them. You have to keep fluffing them out and stuff. And we shot over two weekends. So between those two weekends, they decided to change and become different shapes. It was like before takes, it wasn't, we weren't really, or I, I don't know about the rest for me. I wasn't worried about, you know, the crazy setups that we had to do. It was making sure the wig looked the same. Mm-hmm. So that was, that I think was the biggest challenge, but you know, everything had to be different. Nothing could be the way that we found it. So, right. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, I would assume that's, you know, that's almost even like furniture and, oh yeah you know, ran, like random things you wouldn't even think about at first, the first time you think about doing a period piece. So I guess, yeah. you know, what are, what's some, what's some advice from going through that, that process that you would give to somebody who has not done anything, you know, so everything's set in modern day that they've worked on until now, you know, but they're thinking of tackling, you know, a period piece or something set whenever yeah. in the past. What's some advice you'd give them? I would say just make sure you really research the heck out of it. Um, because I think what audiences, you know, sometimes do is it, it's very easy to nitpick and mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, well, that wasn't in the forties. That wasn't in the sixties and things like that. Um, which they're all very avoidable things as long as you research. So if you have a scene that has, you know, a bunch of props, let's say they're playing cards, like research those cards. What would the cards look like? Yeah. It's actually fun to do to, you know, it's even like a Google image search. It's, you know, going to the library and reading those books. And, um, a lot of things that I did to, to help with just the historical accuracy was talking to people, um, that were alive during that time, which wow. luckily for me, I, it was, it takes place in 68. So those those people are still living it'd be a little bit harder if it was the right. 40s or something like that but you know there are always resources and the internet is a beautiful thing um <laughs> so yeah i would just say just research don't ever guess always research right um i'm curious about also just casting the film i mean it kind of the mm. film anchors on you know that sister connection um and but there's but there's you know there's more there's other main characters there's kind of a lot of supporting cast too um and so i'm curious the you know what how long was the process for casting you know was finding those sisters i'm sure that was kind of like the biggest main goal too but um i don't know talk a little bit about the process of you know getting all the players together yeah so casting was really really fun it took us i think two months of casting so we had a lot of sessions um just obviously like you were saying like we had to have that sister bond and it had to they had to sell as like very close sisters and 
you know, things like that. They had to look similar. You know, it, there was a, there was a lot that goes into casting siblings, and then a lot that goes into casting uh, siblings who are your leads. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was a really fun process. We did. We went through backstage. We went through um, actors' access. We went through friends. We went through anything. Anyone that we told about this film, it was kind of like we're looking for sisters, you know, (laughs) if they had any names, you know, we auditioned, we auditioned them all. So, um, they, the two girls that play the sisters, Danielle and Fatima, um, we had a lot of chemistry reads. So after we kind of found, okay, we like this person for Joe, we like this person, um, for Leona, it was like, okay, so now the chemistry reads is where we kind of really put it all together. And so we just had all of these, um, fantastic women kind of go, with each other and we had days of just that of just like putting these two together and pairing these two um and so yeah it was a lot of kind of that's where it was made was the chemistry it's like how do they interact with each other you know together Mm -hmm. um and from that it was danielle and fatima were by far just the most they had the most chemistry and it was it was kind of electrifying to watch them in auditions so it, it was really fun and and they're close now anyway so it, it's they're really almost, cool. They're, they're almost real sisters. I know. <laughs> so like on and off screen. And I, I just had like a two hour FaceTime with them last night. So it's like it, it was it's good to have people that interact well on screen and also off screen. So, yeah. yeah. Um, to get into kind of the meat of the of the film a little bit. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, this obviously this year has been just kind of, you know, a year kind of defined by now like protests and, you know, our opinions and relationships to, you know, law enforcement and everything. Um, and so I'm curious what, or when, when the film like wrapped, like how close to, you know, our <laughs> summer of summer and ongoing protests that were still amidst, you know, when, when did, was that all time timing? Like, because it seems very prescient so yeah yeah so we actually we wrapped in february so we wrapped two weeks before the country shut down right um and so and it was written almost it had been being written probably a year prior to that Mm -hmm. um so it wasn't extremely close to all the events of the summer yeah but it just goes to show how nothing's really it hasn't really changed that much. Yeah. It's kind of like um, we've. But this is a cycle that has been happening since you know forever. Yeah. So um, it's kind of like interesting because yeah, it is. It does seem to be extremely relevant. But I guess it you know it's just been relevant for for a long, long, long time. Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious what you think the importance of you know, looking at events from the past, looking through them as a lens in, in this way where, you know, it's a, f- a film, a period piece, um, you know, could be, could be fact, could be fiction. Um, but I'm curious what you think the importance of, of using that to examine and adapt to, you know, present day when the same issues are still affecting us. Like, what do you think is the significance of being able to do that for, you know, people that weren't around in the sixties and seventies or even before that, you know, what, what can we learn from the, the past to move forward in the present? Yeah. I, I think you can learn a lot from that. I think one of the biggest things is patterns, mm-hmm. um, kind of, you know, what we're dealing with today 
is so similar to what they were dealing with back then and then how they were dealing with it. You know, what was working and what wasn't? Because yeah. back then during uh, the civil rights era of the 60s, there were so many different methods of doing it. You know, although it kind of shows in history books, it was either peaceful or violent. There was a lot of things. There were sit-ins. Um, you know, there, there were uh, violent protests. There were peaceful protests. There were so many different things happening in, in Congress and legislation and just the law side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like what kind of made the most headway is kind of what you can look at from the past to see, you know, what works today or, you know, some of the things that um, are still very much in place from the 60s that we still yeah. need to get on and, and get rid of and also new patterns. You know, a lot of times it's like not necessarily things have improved, but we found they found a way to get around the change that was trying to be enacted, mm-hmm. you know, back then. So it's just a lot of, I think, patterns and reading in between the lines on what people are about and, you know, how how the system works. Um, I think is the the way we can learn and, and change it now is just learning how the system works and how it's evolving. Yeah, that's that's great. And so something that I pulled out of your director's statement that I thought was really interesting was um, that you you want your art to allow people to escape, but still feel some representation and familiarity with you know the characters and their stories and truths um, in the films that you make. And so I'm curious, you know. What is what is kind of the line between <clears throat> escaping but still having stories that are attached to the real world when mm. when an audience is watching them? Like like how how grounded do the stories still need to feel in your films to still feel like an escape but also be relatable? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think. Kind of the main thing that I, using Misfits as an example, is, you know, you escape into a world where a lot of my audience, and especially me, I wasn't around during that time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there on the night of MLK Jr.'s assassination. So I wanted the audience to be able to escape into that world and just be able to live in the shoes of those characters and, you know, be completely surrounded by the 60s. Yeah. Um, that is all, those are all things like even, even the hair, even the afros are something that um, you don't see that much of today. Um, and so just to be so immersed in that and just immersed in, immersed in the culture, every inch of the frame is all sixties, all very much, you know, the world that we live in, the mm-hmm. shots that we use, steady cam, you're floating through this world and just being kind of pulled into a place that's not familiar. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I mean by escapism and just being able to sit back and be in just a world that you have no idea about. Um, and then, you know, the realism in it is is the characters, the characters that are still at the end of the day human, just like you and I still go through kind of the same struggles of of justice, even even if, you know, say audience members who are an African-American, um, you still have the sister bond mm-hmm. that is very, you know, no matter what the sisters are fighting about, no matter what the differences are, there's still a pair of sisters who yeah. are have opposing opposing views on something mm-hmm. um so you know with the humanity of it that's something that we can all relate to no matter what time period no matter what's going on no matter what the race anything like that it's kind of all kind of all brings us down to earth together yeah oh man i, I love that answer that's awesome 
Um, and so I'm, I'm curious now just to ask um, a little bit about your, you know, path as a filmmaker, you know, what kind of, um, you mentioned starting from, to be interested in filmmaking at a really young age. And so, you know, what was kind of the, the first catalyst for being drawn to film as an art form for you? You know, I, I remember going to see Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember, 2010, maybe I was, I was, I think I was in middle school and I remember sitting there and she fell through the rabbit hole and everything was just so, you were totally immersed in a different world. And I just remember not wanting to leave and just being so like, and I thought this is the feeling that I want to create. I didn't want the movie to end. I wanted, you know, I was, I was every, every frame, everything in the frame, I was just like studying just to see like, what, what is this? What's coming next? And things like that. So seeing that movie, I was like, this is a feeling that I want to recreate for the rest of my life. Um, it was kind of like, it's kind of like an adrenaline rush, kind of like an adrenaline junkie in me that just wants to make, make these stories that kind of make people feel something, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what the feeling is. I just wanted a strong, pull like I was pulled when I was watching that movie yeah oh man yeah I I remember that movie in the theaters yeah um and so yeah what are some of the things you know as you've continued to kind of hone that um that you know letting audiences escape through your work you know what are some of the things that you've that you've learned and kind of developed as tools for yourself as a as a creative and as a director that you know you think kind of gets you closer every time to that kind of that goal of escapism and, um, and, you know, representation in your films. I think it's kind of approaching every story that I want to tell kind of as a journalist. Yeah. So, you know, you take, take a topic or anything like that, that everyone kind of knows about, or someone has some sort of familiarity with, and then completely going into it from a side that isn't talked about is less represented you know, what about this group of people during this time? What were they doing? They were clearly affected as well, but we don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like going into it with an angle that is fascinating. That's the first thing, you know, I feel like you, you have to be really passionate about it and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that, that totally makes a difference and you can see it. So something that you're passionate about, that's like just a little sliver of curiosity and then chasing that curiosity to the end is, is kind of how I, how I do it. Kind of like going through a rabbit hole. Exactly. Following the yeah. right rabbit. Um, yeah. That's that's great. Uh, and so I'm curious what um, what you might be you know developing, working on now that um, you know people can look forward to from you sometime in the future. Yeah, I do have a few short films um, kind of in the making, mm-hmm. um, and I'm in the research stages uh, for them, and I'm super excited about them. Just following minorities and what it's like to grow up as a minority in LA. Right. Um, I think, you know, we have, um, even if it's not LA, like we have a lot of, like I really love A24 movies and I love seeing, um, I'm forgetting, why am I forgetting the name of this movie? The one with Miles Teller. And I uh, love it. Um, spectacular, spectacular Now? now? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you see movies like Spectacular Now and um, in Lady Bird and it's, you know, growing up you know, the coming of age story, boyhood's another good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like, what about the coming of age stories of a Latino family? What about, you know, an African-American family? Um, and just seeing 
wanting to explore those stories just because they also grew up, you know, there's also, there's so many amazing people groups and amazing, you know, stories to be told that are just a little bit different. Like seeing, you know, the movies that I just mentioned is so, so fun to watch them. And it's like, then the curiosity starts. Mm -hmm. What was it like for this person? What was it like for this person? And so I kind of want to go through that and start putting out, you know, content that exists, but, you know, people don't really get to see. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's funny. You mentioned boyhood and it's like, I would love to see a boyhood for like, you know, so many different slices of life, but it takes, yeah. it takes 12 years to make every single one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, where can people go to, you know, keep up to date with your work that's, you know, coming soon, these films in development, you know, where can people follow you online? Yeah. So I am Siani Ray Walker on Vimeo and then Siani Ray, R-E-Y on Instagram. And I kind of just put little blasts out for those. Each of my films have, um, its own Instagram page and that's all linked in my real Instagram page. So once you find one link of mine, they're kind of all listed. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to to talk with us more about Misfits, um, and we're super excited that it's part of our closing night this year. Um, and thank you so much for for being here and for submitting it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for listening. For more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at nfty or on Instagram at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.